I've also got some other buddies reach out to them too. You know, I'll, I'll send you some, some data. So I, I reached out there. Uh, and actually I believe since my initial talk with Jaime, uh, the podcast I've started has actually started to publish some of its episodes. Uh, nice. there's, there's a guy named Marty Wiener, who's the ex CTO. What's your podcast name though? It's called the fourth age. The fourth age. Yes. Marty Wiener. Marty Wiener, the ex-CTO of Reddit, and I are talking about AI and computational impacts on human society and why we shouldn't expect any of this to keep happening and we need to build something else that has a future. Yeah. All right. Welcome in to Vision Pros Live with Jackson Callum. I'm your show host. We'll be doing interviews for visionary entrepreneurs and guest leaders who are building fantastic visions out there. All right. What's up, Vision Pros? My name is Jackson Callum, your show host and the founder and CEO of First Class Business. All right. So let's talk about these sponsors we have. Icon Maker Live. I just got back from, from that uh, incred incredible experience with Tom Matson and Cheryl Pluff. They did an excellent job writing the conference and they're helping podcasters launch seven-figure podcasts. So keep an eye out on what they're up to and watch for the doors to open up soon to their next event six months from now. They're going to be taking the people who came through this version of that program through the process of building up. And I think it's really cool. One of the uh, spoiler alerts here on what Icon Maker Live does is they do not launch you into a podcast. They don't want you to launch a podcast until you know what the heck you're doing. Um, they want to make sure that what the heck you're doing makes sense as well from a business distribution standpoint, business development standpoint, business strategy standpoint. And I'm super aligned with that because there's a lot of people who like dive in thinking they'll just figure it out as they go. Um, they dive in thinking that they understand the game of entrepreneurship enough or business growth enough. And um, I'm really happy with the principles that Tom taught and that Cheryl taught and the way they've designed their programs. It's obvious that they've been around the block a few times when it comes to business. Um, that happens when you're over 70. So Tom's got this serious depth of wisdom that I highly respect. And um, I look forward to seeing them succeed and helping those who I met through that program succeed. Cap Show. Um, capshow.com, C-A-P-S-H-O. This is the system that we use to produce our show notes. Um, what's really cool about it is it's not just for podcasts, even though they are ranked as the number one um, copywriting AI for, I always struggle with this part, um, for podcasters by digitalmarketer.com. Like it, I was like looking up Capshow and uh, I know I was looking up like AI content creation systems after we started to use them and the digital marketer uh, you know, article popped up and I was like, oh, I love digitalmarketer.com. They're super smart. Uh, sure, they talked about Capshow being the best and we've seen it. Um, you, you get your episode or a video of your choice where you've taught something or an audio of your choice where you've, um, you know, developed one of your systems or maybe you're talking people through like the seven uh, core issues with relationships, maybe your therapist. Well, that piece of content gets uploaded to Capshow. And then all you have to do is click a bunch of little buttons to decide like what types of social media content do you want? Do you want an article created out of it for LinkedIn? Do you want a blog post created for your website? Do you want sound clips pulled that educate or that promote your brand? There's so many different little things you can do with it. And I, I always say, just treat it like a race and get your file uploaded 
go in and just click as many times as you can to produce the type of content that you might want. Don't overthink it. Just get it done. Progress is far better than perfect. Um, in this case, that makes absolute sense because then you have the opportunity to edit the content from there. So we'll have an affiliate link dropped in the show notes for you to take advantage of that. Um, and then, of course, take advantage of their community and their training. They bring guest experts in at least once a month too. Molly Mahoney um, was featured this last week for four days. I got to attend one of those days. And the amount of value bombs that she dropped in that 45-minute um, experience was quite intense. I was like, man, I need to be better about doing that, that, and that like now. Um, so very cool. Very great to, grateful to have her training and just to be a part of a community where they're constantly pulling together new brains, new minds and saying, hey, here's how you can win with your podcasts. Um, so both sponsors have to do with podcasting, which is pretty fun. The Water Project. If you have the capacity to give back, please do. Um, Jaime will also drop a link to one of the, the more recent water projects that can be uh, that is looking for support. And ultimately, you're going to see there. There's a couple hundred people in whatever community it is that do not have access to clean drinking water. And you have the opportunity to help fund that. And what's really cool is even if you give five dollars, there's so many people who are given to this program nowadays that it gets funded fairly quickly. And I, I don't want that to discourage you from participating, but participate. Give your dollar or your five dollars to the cause and then pay attention because they're going to send you an email once it's funded. And then they're going to continue to send you emails about the progress associated with providing water to those people. And, you know, you get to know that you had a small hand in helping with that process. We got a small, critical, important hand. So please be willing to give back to the Water Project. It's so cool um, to see these people's lives change. So without further ado, um, I have a gentleman coming on the show. His name is Noah Healy. And Noah is all about concepts, ideas that have to do with math and finances. It's way above my head. Um, the business is called Core Disk. From what I see, like coordinated and disc kind of combined um, exchanges, commodities, markets, forecasters, consumers, products, close of trading windows. Like this is not an area that I dive into. In fact, this is an area that I kind of digress from most of the time. Um, and I know enough about finances and the, the foreign exchange market and stocks and all that to be super, super dangerous. But what we're going to be challenging Noah to do is simplify his message in terms that all of us can benefit from. Um, so if you know that you can be a more, uh, you know, a more a wise, a wiser steward of your finances and you know that there's tremendous changes in terms of the markets and what's going on and AI and and what you can be doing to expand your wealth and knowledge of wealth and how finances work and commodities, et cetera, then this is an episode to tune into and say, you know what, can he simplify it enough for the layman to get it? And I'll throw myself in that bucket when it comes to exchanges and commodities and all that. I tend to stay in the layman's terms. So Noah, thank you so much for being on vision pros live. Let's hear about your vision. Thank you for being here, my friend. Thanks for having me here, Jackson. Yeah, absolutely. So my first question for you is going to settle us in. Who the heck should be listening to what we're talking about today? Why should they listen to you specifically? And what are they going to get out of today's show? Well, uh, the, the primary beneficiaries of my idea would be people who uh, eat food, live in shelter, or wear clothing that they didn't personally make themselves out of land that they defend for themselves. So basically everyone who's ever heard your show or ever will, uh, 
would would be better off for for the sorts of changes and visions that I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what I hope that they get out of it is an understanding of some of the very fundamental things that are impacting the economy that effectively never get talked about because virtually nobody is aware that these sorts of problems underpin so much of the chaos that we see and to take hope because there really are solutions uh, that don't just sort of paper over the cracks, but in fact, give us a radically better and more robust economy. If Mm -hmm. just a few people (laughs) manage to get together and start building these things. Okay. Interesting. So, um, let's expand a little bit more on that vision. I like the analogy of the paper over cracks and the foundation that could be uh, alluded to there that, you know, if we, if we pull together. So what is your vision for those that you serve in 30 seconds? Uh, a financial marketplace that serves their needs uh, based on their individual interests. Uh, that's all sounds I guess, loose, but it's all mathematically precise. Uh, a, a system that is as much a level up over the markets that we presently have as those markets were over the medieval trading style that preceded them. Okay. You said loose. I thought it sounded concise, to be honest with you. Um, so I thought it was well delivered and certainly there's room to expand on it. So it sounds like a a new marketplace. Um, There's an opportunity to establish a new marketplace. Did I catch that correctly? Yes, absolutely. Okay. And you guys, you may not have, um, Noah may not unpack all that in the next 45 minutes, but if that's of excitement to you and you're like, huh, I want to know how that looks, or I want to discuss and debate that with him, then by all means, you can reach out to Noah and and make sure you dive in deep. Um, we We might circle back to that and just conquer the world today on the show. Um, so in 15 seconds, so first, um, let's hear a little bit about you. What, what's your personal vision over the next 15, 20 years? What do you want to accomplish? What do you, what do you see for yourself? Uh, better markets for a wealthier world is my, my watchword, um, that by upgrading how economics functions, we, we upgrade how economics functions and it serves us all better. Uh, I, my personal interest is in computational mathematics and, I would like to keep working in the area of seeing how to actually utilize computers to make our lives easier, more more economically viable, uh, and aid in the expansion of human capacity. Nice. Okay. And we're gonna we're gonna go into a very fun question as an entrepreneur, um, business owner, or with the marketplace, you're welcome to expand on this, but what's your worst business experience ever? Uh, the patent office going full Kafka. Um, so the patent office has agreed to extend this a patent on my concept to me twice. It has withdrawn both of them. And the second time it did that, uh, it did so for no reason that it could express because the people who hmm. my attorneys and I were allowed to speak to informed us that people who we were not allowed to speak to had told them to stop extending permission. Uh, 
and that those people who we weren't allowed to talk to hadn't given any reason that the people we are allowed to talk to could understand or agree with. Oh, jeez. Um, and after raising a stink with my congressional office, then the patent office stiffed my congressional office as well. Uh, so they'd never seen anything like that before either. Uh, so right now it's heading to a panel of appeal in two years. Ah, great. And the panel of appeal is at what level? Uh, so this is, it's sometimes colloquially known as patent court. Um, okay. So the initial sort of court filing for patents uh, actually happens inside the regulatory body itself. Wow, man, that is, that's intense. Um, that's a, that's a pretty big worst business experience. Um, and so you've got a, you got a two year ride um, to, to do what? What do you do in the meantime? Uh, well, pretty much what I've been doing before. Uh, the basic challenge with this is figuring out how to get people aware of exactly how bad the problems are and exactly what those bad problems are and how the solution works and how they could contribute towards that solution. Uh, and so from that perspective, whether or not there's it's on patent or off patent is totally irrelevant. Uh, mm. And in fact, I'm not pursuing an international patent that's far too expensive and far too complicated. You can see how much trouble I'm just having with the United States government. Uh, so it's open source overseas. Mm. Okay. And so what do you do? What do you do in the meantime, as far as pivoting for the sake of income? Uh, I'm assuming you can't sell whatever's related to that patent in the meantime. Is that correct? Uh, well, again, in theory, um, I can offer, you know, professional services in, in terms of consultation on creating marketplaces. And, um, that is, that's what I attempt to do for people that actually want to build a marketplace. Gotcha. Okay. And I, I can relate to this to a degree, um, in a different sense. We, Apple patented our restaurant software when I was uh, face of the company for Restaurant Connect. Um, and it was like the worst three hours ever. Um, I felt like I was going to have a heart attack because here's everything that we built patented by this giant. And I like literally I thought my heart was going to explode. I was like, oh, my gosh, like everything we stand for, everything we built is right here, including everything our competitors have built. Like, what the heck is Apple doing? Um, you know, and so after after like whining and crying and wondering like, am I going to go to jail? Am I going to go to prison if we keep building this company? Like, how does this whole thing work? I just got back on the phones um, and kept calling restaurants and providing our solutions. And I was like, well, uh, whatever, you know, like I, I don't have the time. I don't have the time and have the space to just give up on what I was doing. And uh, I just couldn't worry about it. You know, I was like, this is, this is way above my, my pay, pay grade and vision at the time. I just kept going. So if any of you listening to this, have another idea, you know, or like, oh my gosh, like Jackson, no, you should just like next time burn your company alive and and move on. Um, feel free to, to put a comment on it. But I think the greater reality that I hear you saying, Noah, is that you keep providing value to the market. Best I can. Yeah. Okay. That's right. Um, so good. And, and you're learning to, to play by the rules in the process, but um, let's move into another topic here. What's your best experience in business ever? Um, I had, I had a guy who was a friend of a friend, but he was, uh, he's trying to launch a 
market on the blockchain in Singapore. And he actually traveled from Mexico City to Charlottesville, my hometown, and spent the weekend going into the math um, and, and ultimately agreeing to attempt to incorporate my technology into his, his business. Cool. So what happened? Um, still trying to do fundraising. Uh, right now, there are three different uh, attempts to build marketplaces with my technology in them. Um, unfortunately, building marketplaces is itself a difficult prospect. Uh, mm -hmm. you, have to, you have to know the, the customer base that you're dealing with, and you have to be able to cope with the regulatory environment of whatever that customer base is. And you generally need a pretty large sack of cash uh, just in order to generate enough trust to, to cope with those issues. And um, the, so far, uh, none, of my, none of my interested counterparties uh, have actually succeeded in, uh, in getting their markets set up yet. Okay. And when we're talking about building a marketplace, um, you know, my brain goes in all sorts of uneducated directions. Um, one of the directions it goes in is this whole situation that's occurred with the, uh, um, I know Seth Curry and Shaquille O'Neal NBA had like invested in some type of blockchain NFC technology stuff. And then there was, again, some important financial guy who's taken a lot of heat, young guy um, with whatever, whatever hasn't panned out too well in relation to blockchain and crypto. Right. So now I've exposed, I hope how, completely foreign I am to all of this stuff. Um, is that what you're talking about when you're talking about marketplace? Um, or is there more to it? Do you want to break down for us in more uh, simple terms? Like yeah, certainly. Um, so a market is simply an entity for buyers and sellers to come together to make deals. Okay. Um, so that covers everything from uh, weekly market opportunities, flea markets that might exist in yeah in your businesses, to uh, uh, online presences. Uh, Amazon, for example, creates a retail marketplace for people to sell through their systems. Um, okay. I'm speaking specifically about financial marketplaces. So this would be environments that allowed people to speculate on indices for various products or buy and sell forwards, that is deals that are to be executed in the future, uh, or options, um, or again, potentially uh, a spot market, which is essentially very short term forwards uh, for people that want to buy or sell something more or less right now. Uh, and so in those environments, uh, that's where commoditizing comes in. Uh, when you go to the store, you can pick stuff up off the shelf and sort of decide, do you want that apple? Do you want this apple? Maybe that pear over there is actually the kind of thing you're interested in. Um, but if you're running a business, um, either on the productive or consumptive side, uh, you need steel. You need to know what grades of steel exist. You, you need to be able to produce those grades of steel in ways that you can advertise the entire world that's what you're doing and you need to just get those grades of steel off the shelf you don't need to buy from sam who's across town you need to buy steel or cheese mm. or 
whatever other kinds of products, you know, lumber, wool, so on. Um, and so these commoditized marketplaces have the characteristic that there is competition on both sides. There's competition to sell to each mm -hmm. buyer and there's competition to buy from each seller. And that's tremendously powerful um, and offers much more efficient schemes than something like an Amazon globalized retail market does, which becomes very expensive to use. Uh, and, you know, Amazon has no particular interest in making it less expensive to use because the, the, your expense is their income. Okay. So that was the, you broke down a lot of really great examples for me. Thank you for that. Um, I have more clarity on marketplaces and what type of marketplaces look like. Now, my question goes into the why I don't see the correlation between why Amazon is is deemed as expensive, um, you know, and, and I want to um, and I obviously want to understand that as a consumer. So um, compared to what? So compared to a commodity marketplace. Uh, okay. So let's say you were in the business of buying corn. Corn's been fully commoditized. So there's an efficient marketplace that's headquartered in Chicago that will sell you effectively train loads of corn at a time. Um, if you were to go to Amazon, number one, corn might be a little tricky to find there. Um, you know, next day shipping, you'd, you'd want it pretty rapidly, maybe. Uh, but if you were going to buy something relatively standard on Amazon, like an office chair, for example, okay. what you'd pretty swiftly discover is that there are thousands and thousands and thousands of different brands of office chair, and they all use exactly the same picture to describe their office chairs. So are those all the same office chair with different brand identities? Or are some of them scams? Well, some of them are scams. Um, in the Chicago environment, there's no concern about, is this guy who's trying to sell me this train load of corn versus that guy who's trying to sell me that train load of corn a scam artist? Because they've taken care of that. There's a mechanism to ensure that there's grades of corn and that people are sort of meeting their requirements. Um, Amazon, on the other hand, makes more money the more brands there are um, because the brand owners essentially have to pay Amazon to make themselves available and then pay for advertising space to promote themselves in the sea of thousands of brands that they have to get past. Mm. And so all of those expenses ultimately rest on the consumer um, who has to pay the freight if 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 that company has to give Amazon money to put it near the top of the page that so can sell you the chair, then they need to recoup that money from somewhere. And it's not falling out of the sky. It's coming out of your pocket. That makes sense. But my question for you is where can I find a cheaper chair? Well, the trick is that chairs aren't a commodity product. Um, if they ah. were, if humans had standardized on three or four different kinds of chair, and that's just it, people just made one of three or four different kinds of chair, then highly efficient marketplaces and chairs could exist. And all the chairs that you saw at McDonald's okay. and the movie theater and your living room would be one of these three kinds of chairs. 
Yikes. Okay, so that so let's try to go to an analogy that that sticks to to the point. I think because that will that will help more. So you mentioned corn, for instance, and then that it could be bought um, through Amazon. But um, what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to find Noah the correlation between your expertise and the marketplace and how it relates to the consumer. Well, that's where the advantage actually accrues to the consumer is that if what you actually need is commodity product. So if you're in a situation where you're running a business that consumes a certain amount of foodstuffs or, or, you know, board feet of lumber or particular kinds of. What are some examples? Yeah. Of the commoditized products or services. Uh, uh, wool, cotton, um, uh, oil, iron, coal, copper, silver, corn, wheat, rice, um, uh, pot meat, cheese, butter, uh, milk is traded through commodity marketplaces. Um, so these are the these are the types of um, products that you can build marketplaces for new marketplaces for. Uh, yes. Yes. So those are all markets. Those are all products that have existing marketplaces built for them okay. that could be replaced by my technology. Gotcha. Um, and you want to create new marketplaces? Uh, so my technology changes how those marketplaces work. And so much as shifting from a horse and buggy to car, you're sort of doing the same thing, but you're not doing it the same way. My marketplace could shift and take over how those existing markets operate. Uh, but there are also products that aren't currently large scale enough to be traded through those kinds of things. So something like mohair or camel hair are popular types of uh, threads that are used to make clothing, but those aren't very large markets and they're not historically embedded. And so they're much too small to support an existing commodity market structure. My marketplace is more efficient, so you could, in theory, operate in there. Um, other materials like cobalt uh, and lithium, for example, uh, are industrial materials that are becoming much more common these days than they mm -hmm. used to be. And so it would be possible to set up brand new markets in those using my technology uh, as they grow. Okay. So how does this, um, how does this relate and help all those people you mentioned um, with like everyday commodity stuff? What's, what's the tie into the audience? Uh, the existing overheads that you pay for the costs of the existing marketplace are considerable. Um, in aluminum, for example, uh, there was a, there was a mechanism that was discovered that allowed a company to effectively skim off something on the order of 20% of the aluminum market, which meant that if you bought anything that had aluminum in it, uh, 20 cents of every dollar that you spent on the aluminum was given to a company that had figured out how to rig the financial market so that you would have to pay them money. So basically, if you used aluminum foil in the last quarter of a century, uh, you overspent by a pretty healthy margin uh, just because of that fact. Uh, this, this spreads across all things. Um, large fractions of, the, of, the, of what you spend on the raw materials for food, shelter, uh, and clothing, 
as well as what you pay at the pump is being chewed up by market overheads. Okay. Um, and so is there anything I can do about that? Like, so let's say my underwear I get from Amazon. Um, right. And so Amazon essentials, I'm a big fan of, uh, their, their product line because it's super easy, super simple. Um, and I guess I'm paying 20 cents more, um, for it. So how does, how, what would, what, what shift is taking place? What are you doing to protect my, my 20 cents or $2 extra or whatever it is I'm, I'm paying? Well, that's where the thing gets challenging is that, um, this is a this is a technology that needs to be embedded into marketplaces and so mm -hmm. uh we need to generate new for say underwear cotton markets uh that would incorporate this technology uh and and create these more stable less expensive markets so there's something the consumer can do about it or are we just kind of at the mercy of of uh, people who decide to make better technology or not? Well, if you're completely unattached, sort of the best thing that you can do is, is much like the Robinhood people, you could get yourself on my list so that I could sort of have evidence of a large enough interested party group to be able to go to funding agencies and say, hey, there's a built-in market. Let's just build one of these things. Um, but if if you are a a consumer of end products you aren't a direct user of these marketplaces you are instead simply a victim of them mm -hmm. right um and so i guess the the question is so then who can we connect who do you need to be connected to on your end in order to make a difference uh people who currently do or legally could operate a financial institution financial institution meaning defined as uh so the there's certain regulatory requirements that are very similar to the requirements for setting up banks um uh, and that's that's what's going on uh commodity marketplaces are generally regulated by the cftc which is sort of an analog to the sec so the sec is very famous securities exchange commission the cftc is the commodity futures trading commission mm -hmm. right so how are you going about getting the connections that you need uh to to be able to have that type of influence and well, that's, that's basically the challenge. I reach out around the world uh, and also get myself on podcasts in the hopes of maybe getting a flea in somebody's ear to build up these, these connection plans to try to get to the people who can actually build these markets, uh, either because they're already operating them or because they have the, the regulatory wherewithal to, to set one up. So one of the things we did in Icon Maker Live, um, one of the core activities that I love that Tom suggested was something that we pay attention to daily as entrepreneurs, as leaders, as visionaries in the world. It's called the Dream 100. Um, you, you've probably um, heard the concept or utilize it yourself, but ultimately that's, I need to have a list of my top 100 people where if, if these 100 people, you know, if one of these 100 people were to promote me, were to talk about the importance of what I do or what my business is, it would have a it would have an exponential effect on what it is I'm capable of, of doing or accomplishing. Or they're that one they're like the right perfect fit client 
for instance, um, and or a person to invest. So if you don't have the Dream 100, I highly recommend creating your Dream 100, Noah, because it's, you know, rather than shooting the dark, um, right, with different podcasters, um, which I don't think you're doing too much, but I'm just saying to juxtaposition the two. Uh, no, that that is much more of what I'm trying to do. Um, mm -hmm. I actually, sadly, just got shot down by one of mine um, three days ago. Uh, it, uh, shot down or not interested yet? Um, I, I, I'd say shot down. He took the time to actually respond. But the, the CEO of the Intercontinental Exchange uh, linked with me on LinkedIn um, uh, in order to respond, no thanks. Uh, so, so not that's, now. that's, yeah. Okay. And that's, I get it. I mean, I'm, I'm a sales guy, but I've been knocking doors since I was 19 years old, trying to teach people about God. Um, right. That was my first sell. Um, and it was the hardest, um, of all and not interested, not now. There's a, there's a lot of things that, that could cause that to come up. But if you are patient, you are persistent you are consistent and you are reliable. Those four factors make a massive difference. Um, and my number one sales compliment always was not Jackson's the most wise, smooth talking, uh, charismatic person. No, it was always my boss would always get Jackson is persistent, which was basically a backhanded compliment of Jackson won't go away. <laughs> right. He's not, he's not giving up. He just keeps trying. And trying and trying. So the the cool news is you've you've made your first touch. Um, stranger danger experience has started, um, right? Where it's like I don't know this Noah guy from Bill, um, right? Which why would I why would I go with him? And if you if you stay tenacious with the process and keep refining how you're going about that approach, it's amazing what can happen. Um, so I would I would say. If this is your life goal, like if this is your passion, your vision, what you want people to understand then keep refining your approach to how you're going about the cause and keep expanding that dream 100 and, you know, dust yourself off, get up again and think, all right, well, obviously that approach didn't work this time, but maybe in six months that dude's forgotten you completely and your new approach completely, you know, changes the game. That's that's certainly possible, and that hope is is worth holding out. Um, in terms of life goal, um, the the existing market systems sadly are degrading in functionality. So that mm -hmm. same kind of issue that Amazon has, where they make more money by costing you more money, uh, also infects the general financial markets as well, because computers basically make it cheaper to inject noise into the marketplace. And the mm -hmm. more noise there is in the system, the more the system charges for the assurances that it provides. Does uh, that create less of a need for you or more of a need for you and what you're building? Vastly more of a need for me. In That's fact, good news. So your, it, your value in the marketplace is rising. I don't yes. think it's good news for the market. I mean, it's not good news for me. It's like we're not trying to think evil here, but just pointing out in terms of your value, it's becoming it's going to become more and more clear why what you do is important. And you're simultaneously going to be working on optimizing how you talk about it to gain attention. And those two things will hopefully cross at a at a healthy 
I, I, yes, I keep, that's what I keep in the game for, um, because these markets are doomed to collapse at some point, uh, because there is some level of unsupportable cost that the economy cannot bear. We don't know what that is. um, But since there is no governor that will, that has been able to cause that cost Mm -hmm. to be contained, and there's no algorithmic mechanism that will contain it. Um, so who's on your dream 100? Uh, the operators and board members of the benchmark marketplaces. So uh, the Intercontinental Exchange, the CME Group, uh, the um, London Metals Exchange, uh, the other important regional markets. So uh, there's an African exchange. Uh, Australia has its own exchange. France has its own exchange. The EU has uh, exchanges um, headquartered in Switzerland. Uh, China and in Shanghai and Hong Kong has exchanges. Um, okay, so and, there's all these uh, countries that have their exchanges. And then have you done your, your digging and research to know who, meaning John Miller at at China's and I'm really awful with names, but basically their CEO and board members are all publicly available. And I, you know, you can find at least some of them on LinkedIn. These are big because you, if you put those, uh, you know, those people as human beings into a spreadsheet, um, right. Of, okay, this person works at such and such, and he's got this, this title, et cetera. And you, you know, your dream list can be within a spreadsheet. And then you start running that by some of the high value connections that you have in life. Um, people who are connectors, people who love to bring about, uh, change in the world. Um, the, the more thorough you have built out that list and who's doing what and how to potentially get a hold of them, um, and look to, to serve other markets of, you know, in terms of like, hey, I can help introduce you to so-and-so and you to so-and-so, but have that list active so that you can ask people around you like, hey, do you know any of these five to 10 people? You don't have to put all 100 in front of I, I actually have been using LinkedIn pretty extensively, which is nice because it actually records their their connections. And so I can see the connections that acceptances have. Uh, so mm-hmm. I... I had uh, just over 100 connections on LinkedIn when I started this particular journey, and I just passed uh, 7,500 this afternoon. Um, and I, I persistently do outreach on LinkedIn to expand my, my list, try to find people to talk to, and then try to get those people to introduce me to other people. Um, and so of the of the three groups that, that I've, I'm working with, uh, one of them was a more or less a pure LinkedIn catch. Uh, one of them was uh, local networking that wound up going global. And the third one was through podcasting. Yep. Very good. And as you again, refine that 7,500, you want to expand it for distribution sake, but also refine that the clarity around which 100 and why. Um, you know, why those, those 100 and what would you do to, um, to get in front of those? Another great book on the subject is Raving Fans. Um, Raving Fans by Ken Blanchard breaks down um, how to have influence with those who you want to become raving fans. For instance, if I'm going to sell a uh, new microwave to McDonald's to improve their microwaving capabilities, I don't know if you can. Um, well, let's say we did, right? My, 
my prospect, my decision makers, uh, the franchise owner could have something to say about it. The general manager, um, you know, may have something to say about it. The, uh, the lead chef cook might have something to say about the process. The person who I have to invoice, um, right. In order to get me paid for the microwave, uh, may have something to say. All those people might become stumbling blocks in the process of working with me. So my goal, if I want to create a raving fan is how do I make sure that my system, the process of working with my microwave improves every single person's life who has to be involved with or touch what it is I do, even though it has nothing to do with the microwave itself. Um, right. That's, that's an important factor. If you can, if you can figure out how your system affects or relates to each one of those individuals, then you can also speak to those individuals based on their needs, which allows them to tap on the door of the next person with more purpose and more, more selfish reasons um, as well to say, Hey boss, will you take a look at what he has? Because it's going to help you this way, but they secretly already now know how it's going to affect and benefit them. I hope that's helpful for you. Uh, no, that's yeah, that's, that's good. Um, I, I call I call my version of that approach uh, the story matrix, and I have a, nice. I have a, a basically a spreadsheet set up. Um, but the the core mathematical approach I have within game theory it actually addresses precisely that this notion that if you're in a coordination game, basically a cooperative style situation, um, the the critical stakeholders I think is sort of the the yep. now unfortunately freighted modern term, but uh, will have interests that are not oppositional. Uh, they don't have to be common, but they have to, you know, it, you, there can't be a zero sum, I win, you lose type of relationship for that to be true. And so uh, you can effectively construct a very simple who's in the game, uh, what do they want, and then use that to structure the math of what it's possible to offer uh, the various players. And I grade them basically green, yellow, red. Green players uh, are the ones that you need for your, your cooperative system to keep functioning. And red players are the players that you need not to be in the system for it to function. Um, and then yellow are indifferent. If they show up, that's fine. If they if if they toss them out, that's also fine. And so the the mathematical challenge is then to construct a negotiation game. And CDM is a negotiation game that operates a commodity market uh, that offers all of the green players a bonus for playing your game. Mm -hmm. uh, and offers all of the red players a loss for playing your game. And if yeah. you if you find that mathematical structure, then you build a, a building system. Unfortunately, I don't have a generic arbitrary sales model. I need very simplistic things like regional or continental scale commodity markets to to make the math work. Yeah. There's a there's a lot to it. So if you are listening and you speak math, obviously, um, and, and, and Forex and commodities and all that, then, of course, reach out to Noah on LinkedIn, um, as we've heard, a great place to reach out to him at. 
um, and continue the mastermind of the Dream 100 and, and you know, moving moving these mountains um, that, that he sees um, as as impediments to, um, you know, our, our society and our economic well-being. And I appreciate you, Noah, for tackling uh, tackling subjects that others, um, you know, may choose to just kind of ignore, um, you know, or not 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 necessarily prioritized in life, but they do sound important. And I appreciate you breaking down some of that for us over the last 45 minutes. Um, thank you for being on Vision Bros. Did you have something else you'd like to add? Uh, no, no. I just wanted to thank you. Um, yeah. It was, it was a great chance. Good mastermind. I learned, I, I get, did, get, I learned get, quite a bit in this and, and, drew, and dove in to um, certain territories of of my own dream 100 and thinking through this process of like, well, who, who should I connect Noah with? And so we may catch up about that a little bit more right after the call, but vision pros, um, if you have a vision that you're working on, then continue to work on, of course, clarifying and projecting the end of the world, jump on stage with us over here at vision pros live and, uh, get your message out there. And Noah, thanks again for being here. Uh, everybody you can find more links in the show notes. So learn more about what Noah Healy does and everybody have a phenomenal rest of your day. Thank you for being here today. I'm really happy that you tuned in to Vision Pros Live. I'm looking forward to seeing your reactions as these episodes continue to move forward. This is going to get more and more fun. We'll have more and more engagement as well. We'll invite people to participate in the show. And thank you for giving us your time and attention. Have an excellent time building out your vision and becoming a vision.